الجزيرة بودكاست Public anger is growing in the UK. Hundreds of thousands of people have taken part in wage strikes. The Prime Minister has described the industrial action as a political battle. So how will his government deal with the growing dissatisfaction? I'm Laura Kyle, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. Let's get some thoughts now from our guests. And joining us from London is Alex Dean, Conservative commentator and a former UK Conservative Party aide. In Sofia is James Meadway, former economic advisor to the UK's shadow chancellor and currently a council member of the Progressive Economy Forum. And also in London is Jonathan Portes, Professor of Economics and Public Policy at King's College London. A very warm welcome to all of you. Alex, what's the government's plan to deal with all these strikes? Well, I thought that um, the piece was a, a fair one, reflecting opinion uh, on the ground in this country. And I thought that the, um, the caveat at the end, that the, uh, those going on strike maintain public support for now, is quite telling. Because the longer you mount industrial action like this, I, I fear those uh, conducting it will find the less public sympathy there is for them, rightly or wrongly, about their cause. If you can't get to work because the train is on strike or you have to stay at home because your children can't go to school, even after two years of having their education interrupted by coronavirus, then I think that um, you lose a certain amount of sympathy. Let's be frank. I think the government will, in part, think that time is on their side. Uh, so, so, so if just you to, carry just on striking to, like to this, clarify, you will lose... The Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's plan is to wait, wait for public opinion to turn no, I, on I, the strikes. Forgive me, I have no brief to speak for the government at all. I was telling you what I think, which is, I think, what you wanted. So I think that's the, the first thing, that I think that um, time is against the interests of those going on strike. And given the, the, the point uh, we've been discussing today about teachers going on strike, it's very interesting. Of course, the UK's spend on education is towards the top of the OECD uh, bracket on uh, expenditure. And then teacher pay is, if you consider our neighbours, towards the top of the European uh, sliding scale of pay for teachers. And hours worked is towards the bottom of, uh, of hours uh, worked by teachers. I've got great um, respect for the profession. Both my parents were teachers. I found the piece we were listening to uh, quite affecting. My mother was a special uh, needs mm. teacher. But I would separate out the points that Nadine was making between the interests of teachers, which we can all discuss and look at and think are important, and unions, which are now mounting what seems increasingly to me to be a party political platform against the Conservative Party and against the Prime Minister. OK, James, there's quite a lot to unpick there. Let's take um, Alex's last point that the unions are not actually representing the best interests of the teachers here. I believe that's what you were saying, Alex, that they are, they are motivated by political means and that teachers actually don't have it so bad when compared to other European countries. Well, they're not teaching in other European countries, they're teaching here. And as the Institute for Fiscal Studies, hardly a den of left-wing agitators, pointed out this week, teachers' pay has declined by £6,000 relative to what they would have got if he had kept pace with inflation over the last 10 years. So this comes on top of a long period of declining real pay for teachers and worsening conditions in schools for teachers and actually for the people they teach, for the students they teach. That's what's driving this. There's not hundreds of thousands of teachers out there deciding they're going to go for Rishi Sunak. There's hundreds of thousands of teachers deciding in some desperation that they have to strike because the government isn't budging on the fact that they're being underpaid in the middle of what is actually historically incredibly high inflation for the UK. Alex, you don't believe that they're being driven by desperation? 
Well, I, I would say their unions are misguided if they think they're going to yield the results that they're encouraging their members to think they can secure. You said quite fairly in your introduction that the IMF forecast for the United Kingdom is not a positive one. But that's not something for critics of the government to celebrate. We should all want our country mm. to do better. It's a reminder that there, isn't, there aren't huge resources on which the state now can draw. Uh, our nurses uh, union began their uh, pay negotiations demanding a 19 percent, 19, 19, 19 uh, pay uplift. The kind of situation where even if the government meets you halfway, you're still being unreasonable. Now, these unions, it, it's not a coincidence they all come together at the same time to make demands that can't be met by the government. It, when you see that, it is a political effort to try to shift the needle, help the Labour Party at the next election. Jay, uh, Jonathan, let's, let's bring you in at this point, because it does appear, doesn't it, that there's a stalemate going on. We're seeing very few actual pay negotiations happening. Why is neither side seemingly willing to compromise? Um, well, I, I mean, that, that clearly is, is untrue. And I don't think even Alex would claim that, that, is, uh, that that's a, a statement of the facts. The fact is that the nurses' union, for example, Alex referred to the 19%, the nurses' union has said very explicitly in public several times that they are willing to compromise and talk about pay. Um, and settle for a significantly lower rise than the one they were originally asking for. And the government has explicitly refused even to discuss that. Um, the same, I believe, is true of others uh, who are on strike. So it is simply wrong to say that one side is refusing to compromise and the other is prepared to compromise. The government has simply refused to talk about pay at all and the unions have said explicitly that they are willing to talk and willing to compromise. So I think we should be quite clear... Uh, that that's not what is going on. So, so, but you know, I are don't they, particularly want to get. Are the unions though willing to compromise from their double-digit figures, which the government says yes, it simply I mean, cannot you know, afford I'm to not, pay? I'm not sure why you're why, why why you're even asking me. I'm just a professor of economics here. I mean, you know, I, I saw uh, just as a member of the public, I saw the leader of the nurses' union on the Sunday morning talk show. I think it was just last week, saying very explicitly, we will meet the government halfway. The government simply will not discuss pay. And the government said very explicitly, they will not talk about pay. The unions have said very explicitly, we will talk about pay. We will compromise. So, I mean, this is the political discussion. I'd like to talk about the economics. But let's be absolutely clear on the facts here. It's the government that's not talking about pay. The unions have said very clearly they will talk about pay. Now, when we talk about what is, a, you know, who's side is time on. I think there we need to look at it from two perspectives. Um, I, you know, I don't know what will happen to public opinion. None of us do. But it may, you know, uh, um, in quite simply, you know, uh, uh, in terms of can the government afford to sort of sit and wait this out? Uh, yes, of course it can. Uh, the country won't collapse if the unions are on strike. Eventually, the, if the government sticks to its guns, unions will have to will have to give in. They can't force the government to hand over more money. Um, but the important thing is here, actually, in the long run, the government's still going to lose because, um, as um, Mrs. Thatcher, who famously did concede quite large public pay rises, sector pay rises when inflation was rising, recognised you cannot buck the market. And actually, it's the, not the unions that are saying that... Uh, public sector workers like nurses and teachers need more pay. It is simply the market. Pay in the public sector has been cut very substantially over the last decade, but particularly in the last few years. So at the moment, inflation is 
about 10.5%. Private sector pay is rising by mm. about 7%. Mm. The big cuts in real terms for people working in the private sector, but public sector pay is rising by about 3%. Mm. So we're talking about average cuts in real terms of 7 or 8%. And the consequence, of course, is exactly what you expect. That is to say, very high levels of vacancies in health and social care, very high levels of, uh, you know, the government cannot recruit teachers, new teachers, in the key areas that we need to succeed as a country in years to come, science, technology, mathematics, and so on. So, of course, the government can simply refuse to pay. But what that will mean is that the quality of our public services, okay. which has been degraded quite a lot in the last 10 years, will continue to degrade. So it's not really unions versus the government. It's whether the government, in order to win this, is prepared to further degrade the quality of public services. And okay. frankly, okay. let's let James jump in for a second, happen. because I want to get more of an idea about uh, inflation and the rising costs of living, because we've got teachers, we've got nurses saying that their real salaries that they're taking home is a fifth of what, or around about a fifth of what they had in 2010. It's, it's not sustainable, is it? This, this, this cost, this rising cost of living, not in keeping with rising salaries. Well, it's, it's, I mean, a fifth sounds larger. Maybe it's a fifth less than, than they had in, in 2010 rather than simply a fifth of what they had. But that has been the problem, as Jonathan says, for a long period of time in this country. The last decade has seen actually most people in work not do especially well. And then once we hit this big surge of inflation in the last 18 months or so, most people are really quite seriously losing out, energy bills in particular. But actually, as energy bills, or at least as wholesale energy prices have fallen, it's been food price rises which are forecast to increase quite significantly over the next few months at least of this year that's really eating into people's pay packets. So that's what's driving this. And of course, it's not just the public sector, although for the reasons Jonathan outlined, it's most dramatic in the public sector. The government is deliberately holding down pay rises in the public sector as much as it can and thus provoking these strikes and actually worsening retention in the public sector. It's also in the private sector where you see, of course, people are also losing out. And we are starting to see more private sector strikes and private sector industrial action taking place. Something, again, that's been quite unusual in Britain for actually many decades at this point. I mean, Alex, of course, politics is going to play into all of this. But really, this is, as Jonathan says, an issue of the economy, isn't it? Well, I mean, it's quite remarkable just to claim in, in one breath that you know, this isn't to do with uh, politics and then to say the government has provoked strikes when it's quite clear, whatever your position on the political spectrum, that public sector strikes on this scale are really bad for government. Anyone who thinks that the government wants this to happen, I think, it, it is really quite off-beam on their political interpretation. Now, Jonathan does have a point when he says that the government's formal position is they don't want to negotiate on pay with unions like the nurses, but I, I know he doesn't tell you why. The reason the government doesn't want to do that is that for years, people in Britain especially, I must say, on the left, maintained that it was quite wrong for government to have direct control uh, over decisions about where pay levels would be set, and we needed to have these public sector pay review bodies that would decide a fair position. And the reason that government is, doesn't want to uh, go through further negotiations directly uh, with union leaders is that those public sector pay review bodies, which were demanded, have been set up 
have made conclusions, have recommendations, and the unions don't like them. So they blame the government for the conclusions of the third, se the, the third party uh, arm's length body that has decided uh, pay positions. And just to, to be clear, Jonathan is also right to say that the nurse, unions like the nurses do now say they're willing to compromise. My point wasn't that they're, not, they're unwilling to compromise. That's not what I said. My point is that when your starting point is nearly 20%, is so unreasonable that when you say you're willing to meet the government halfway, you are still being unreasonable. James, what do you oh, think sorry, of these? The I, I mean, halfway. I think we... we, we no, 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 meeting we, the government halfway would still, be, about... would still be a cut. Yeah. Um, can, can we just be clear about the pay review bodies, though? Uh, yes. Because, I, I mean, Alex presumably knows the position here, so I, I think he, frankly, is being quite deliberately misleading. The government does not implement what the pay review bodies say, does it? How many times has the government itself rejected the recommendation of the pay review bodies and imposed a lower pay increase, Alex. Can you tell us that? Yes, uh, but the point I was seeking to make, Jonathan, was you hadn't even thought to mention it. You simply but, claimed... But now it is being talked about, so do, do answer, no, let, let let answer Jonathan's message yes. uh, no, question. No, no, let me and be the clear. Government's position you think... We refuse to talk about pay. You've been perfectly clear, and it wasn't true. Government's saying it wants to stick with the decisions of the pay review body, right? That's, what, that's the government's right. position. And, and so, you are you saying mention. that the government... Was, are you saying that the government... Oh, we sticks with the decision of the pay review body or that the government hasn't in the past simply rejected the decisions of the pay review body and chosen to impose a lower pay increase oh, no. in particular for it's nurses? Perfect, it's perfectly reasonable. It would be reasonable for you, argue, for you to argue that you think the government is wrong to say they want to stay with the pay uh, review body's conclusions. It's quite misleading uh, on your part uh, to suggest that the government simply refuses to discuss pay, as if that wasn't even uh, relevant or well, a factor. No, no, I, your position wait, is clear. Wait, wait a you minute. think the pay review bodies you, are wrong, you, you have but said you simply went around saying you, that the government was, was saying they weren't going to talk about pay. Completely okay, Alex, untrue. No, you, you, you wanted to talk about well, being well, misleading. Let me be quite clear. That was what let the misleading me, thing was. Uh, I, I think we should be quite clear about what's happening here. I said, correctly, the government is refusing to, to discuss pay. You said that the government was refusing to discuss pay because Without pay was set why. by the... Wait, wait, let me explain. The, the pay was set at the demand of the, quote, left by the pay review bodies. I simply point out that the government has a number of times, including in the very recent past and including when Jeremy Hunt was Home Secretary, Health Secretary, simply rejected the decision of the pay review bodies. The decision of the pay review bodies is not binding yes. on either side because, and that is mm. because the government has refused to make it binding on either side. And indeed, in the past, the government has simply ignored what the pay review body said and imposed a lesser salary increase. On this occasion, the government likes what the pay review bodies have, have said, and it is therefore saying, well, we'll stick with that. We are not going to talk about pay. So the government, you know, chooses when it likes the pay review bodies, it accepts it and refuses to talk further. When it doesn't like it, the recommendation of the pay review bodies, it rejects them and imposes a lower salary increase. Now, those James, are simply the facts. Let's, let's just bring James right? in at this point, because I want to get well, James's no doubt, opinion no on the pay review body the and whether or not the unions and the teachers and the people on strike actually pay any heed to what the pay review body says and, says and suggests. 
Well, the, the structure's there. The bigger question, of course, is uh, who, who sets the remit for the pay review mm. body is always the government in any case. And should the government choose to find more money to pay its own workers, then it could, of course, do that. The question of affordability, I think, has been fairly well dealt with simply because we don't have Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng uh, sitting in numbers 10 and 11 anymore, that once government borrowing had fallen back to roughly what it would have been without the mini-budget of last September, the headroom against the government's own fiscal rules is enough to pay uh, pay pay an inflation meeting pay rise to the public sector um, over the next year or so. I mean, that's what the figures tell you. So there is actually the money there, including even against the government's own rules at this point in time. It's worth bearing in mind, Margaret Thatcher's already been mentioned. Margaret Thatcher, in her first year in office, gave a 25% pay increase on average to the public sector mm. because she didn't want strikes to happen. It's not unheard of for governments to be generous when inflation is high because they know that they have to keep those services running. And what's happening right now is that with the rate of exit from things like nurses, from the NHS in general, from teaching. We are getting worse and worse public services because we're not paying people properly. Alex, how, how much do you think that aspect of this argument features in the government's conversation? The concern about the public services, the quality of the NHS, the quality of schools, does that factor into any of this? Yeah, well, quite significantly, because one of the main things that governments get elected on or fall on. So I think it, it features quite uh, prominently. But one of the other things that features quite significantly in national life, considering discussions like this, is that there's been some discussion of how the private sectors are getting on too. Those of us in the private sector would look at a 23% defined benefit pension, uh, which our, our teachers have, 23% by the employer and think, my gosh, that's incredibly uh, generous. And then look at holiday arrangements and think, you've got to think about the whole package that somebody in these roles have, rather than simply uh, talking about the one data point of pay, even if uh, Jonathan was unwilling to discuss Absolutely, uh, but I've got to jump in there, to, because uh, when we, when we see people like in Neve's package, in Neve's report, you've got a teacher who's working two jobs just to support her teaching career. You've got many others leaving the profession because they can't afford to live on the salary. That is not boosting or creating an ideal situation for our schools. Well, look, as I mentioned, my basically everyone in my family teaches. I, I don't quite recognise uh, the position that was sketched out. And, you, re you know, really, in the end, argument by anecdote is almost certainly not the right um, thing to undertake. And, I, look, I've already made the point that our teachers are better paid than most teachers in the entire continent uh, of Europe and that our spend is higher on education but than most also, other countries Johnson's in the But I think also Johnson has made the point that inflation so, is at the highest rate and it just doesn't match up. I'm going to move the discussion on a little bit, if I can, because I'm conscious of time. I want to bring up the fact that Shell today posted the highest profits in its 115-year history. $40 billion worth, double last year's. Um, is it time, Alex, I'm sorry, I'm going to come back to you again on this, but is it time for the government to impose a proper windfall tax on these energy companies that are profiting on these high energy costs that are making other people's lives so miserable? I think the Sunak government's already undertaken to. The question would be the level at which it's set. And, you know, I, I bet there's some people in Shell wishing they didn't have their announcements today because the mm. timing's pretty uh, poor for them, wouldn't you, wouldn't you think, given the sheer size and scale uh, of this? And indeed, I heard the report package that you had before we came on air for Inside Story uh, today on Al Jazeera talking about the level of tax that Shell expected to pay in the UK uh, as one of Europe's uh, largest 
um, businesses and Europe's largest oil and gas uh, company. And that level of, of tax uh, spent uh, put into the Exchequer here in the UK is, I think, not what most people uh, would expect. So whilst, of course, the oil and gas giants will always argue that they need to plough uh, profits into exploration into and into future developments, I think they're going to wind up paying more tax in the UK for sure. The discussion is then going to be about whether the quid pro quo of allowing them to explore more and invest more is going to happen. Because what you can't be is a double ante. You can't say they've got to pay much more in tax and they're not allowed to go out and, and take more uh, fossil fuels out of the ground, which is the position of a lot of people uh, currently in, in society. But that's no longer, interestingly, because of the energy crisis, the position of people like the Biden administration, who argued last year that the fracking industry in right. the US should go out and, and, okay, not, and stop at nothing uh, to, to increase production. OK, OK, I'm going to uh, keep moving on because I want to stick with this money issue, the, the, the money that is being made in some sectors, not in others. Jonathan, the government says it's got no money to meet double-digit demands from the strikers. Where should it get the money from if it's going to meet the demands? Well, as James said, uh, um, that you know, the idea that the government has no money is is a pretty you know is not a framing any uh, uh, serious econo economist really recognises. Um, of course, over the longer term, there are fiscal sustainability constraints. But the idea the government can't afford to pay the money now, if it wanted to, if it wanted to stop, as I said, and, and I say this is what the market, you know, this is the key point. This is what the market is telling us. Going back to, you know, it's quite amusing seeing somebody like Alex sort of saying, oh, teachers are paid very well, um, you know, and just ignoring what the market is actually telling us. We cannot recruit nearly enough young teachers, particularly in subjects like science and mathematics, which are rightly government priorities, where the prime minister has rightly said, in my view, um, that we want everyone to learn a lot more mathematics. We can't recruit those teachers. Why not? Because we're not paying them enough. The market is telling us that mathematicians can get significantly more money and better conditions elsewhere. Um, and so saying, oh, they should think about their pensions, you know, that's not what the market is saying, Alex. It just isn't. Um, um, and if you believe in labor, how la that, that we should listen to what the labor market is saying, we will have to pay people in public services more. And that's regardless of whether they go on strike or not, frankly. So that's the first point. So it's not a question of okay. whether we need... We're you know, coming to the end of the show. So on, I'm on just going to, no, so to want James to have um, the last word here. Uh, James, the strikes, they're ongoing. More strikes are forecast. What's going to happen? Are they going to end? Are they going to have their demands met? What do you think is going to bring Britain into a better place? Well, the most likely outcome at this point in time is uh, I think the government has mishandled all the strikes. I think it was a mistake to end up in a situation where you basically have close to the entire public sector in dispute at once. I think that makes it very hard for them to climb down and offer a concession to any one group of strikers without having to start to think to make concessions elsewhere. But we can see the splits in the government side already, rumours of a cabinet split, reports of this on what to do with the nurses and with other groups of workers. My guess is they're going to have to concede. They won't concede all of the union demands but they'll concede a fair amount to them. And my other guess is that if inflation stays high over the course of this year, and most likely it will, we will see other strikes, not only in the public sector, but increasingly in the private sector too. OK, there we have to leave our discussion. It's certainly been a lively one today. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for joining us here on Inside Story. This episode was produced by Mohamed El Aichi, Katia Lopez-Hodian, Fungi Nguyen and Gemma Harries. Studio sound was by Sasha Andreevich. 
The programme was edited by Mohamed Sopi, Lynn Nguyen and Joda Frias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening and tune in on Friday for our next episode. Thank you.